Welcome to the 9642 Podcast. This is your host, Mr. Number 9. And this is The Fool. Alright, so continuing on about this conversation about Super Leagues. It's interesting that these things are happening because football, as we know, it is a part of the entertainment industry and football and all other sports are. They're not like, I understand why fans want to not be treated as customers, Yeah. Um, but you can both be part of an entertainment product, like consuming a consumer, an entertainment product and not just be a customer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like there are customers and there are customers. And football can't pretend it exists in a vacuum where it's not a product. Yeah, exactly. It is a product. Uh, that is sold to people and has its, uh, you know, pitfall people that don't necessarily like. Yeah. Like making the common people who create the game no longer able to afford it. That's definitely one of the really bad downsides of over-commercializing that product. Yeah. It, there's there's a another line to be walked there because, you know, fans, especially historically, they make the club. You can have a f- good football team, but if you don't have the fans, and if the fans aren't engaged in your club, yeah, it's not going to be a successful club. But as you say, especially in this day and age, a club is also a commercial entity. It's it's an entertainment product. It's it's providing. Yeah, I mean, it's providing something. So look at Manchester City. They have all the money. They are the yeah. uh, they have the richest owners in football. But you know, the Etihad is often. Well, shall we say quiet? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and Chelsea doesn't have that. Like, it's an interest, even though you could argue, like, you know, Chelsea had less of a history in Europe and, like, winning things. Like, because before Roman Abramovich came, Chelsea only had, like, the one title. Yeah. So, whereas, like, you know, Manchester City had won a couple of titles, won a European Cup Winners Cup, you know, all those. So, it's not even trophies that give, it's not trophies alone that give you legitimacy. No. Say it. It's, there's a there's a combination of things that go into it. I think winning trophies goes into it. Like you have to have the heyday and the the glory years and and stuff. But you also have to have the downtimes and the fans to stick through that. So it's it's it all goes into the story of the club. I think City have to be careful. They don't lose those fans who are willing to go. Like sell out Main Road uh, back in the day, wh- and uh, when yeah. the club was in League Two, playing you know Darlington on the cold, uh, cold Saturday morning. Like those are the fans that you know that have been through with uh, City in the tough times. Yeah, uh, like a lot of your fans in Asia and other markets are just gonna go and support another team yeah, yeah. if you're not successful. Exactly. They're not going to be, they're not committed to the club. Like you say, the ones that were sitting there in the cold winter rain playing some mid-table League 2 game, you know. They're the ones that are, are going to be there still if things go against you again. And, or those those fans who were there when, lest we forget, uh, Manchester City actually needed to go through the playoffs to get promoted. They didn't even... Um, oh, yeah, yeah. They didn't yeah. even win League the championship, no. Not even championship, like Not League, League two. 2. All right. No, sorry, League 1 when they were there. Yeah, yeah, I see. Yeah. And they got to get promoted up. So, you can, and that can happen to any club. Yeah. Sunderland are right in the bottom. Not in the bottom, but, you know, they're in the doldrums in League 2. Yeah. Like, 
crazily playing in a 50k stadium on, in the English uh, third tier. Yes. And of course, every, every club wants to beat you because you're the big club in that level. Yeah, yeah. And why wouldn't they? Well, exactly. Yeah. Imagine that. Playing League Two and you're playing Sunderland, who were in the Premiership not that many, you know, not that long ago, and go out there and you beat them like, ha, we beat a Premiership club. Yeah, or beat one of the biggest clubs in England, like yeah. even you know, a, a club that has like a European Cup, tro- you know, European Cup winners' cup trophy in their cabinet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, like there's a reason why York City fans will forever remember the, like the time they went and beat Manchester United in the FA Cup three one, yeah. no less. This wasn't even like how they do it now with like a B team or a youth team playing. This was a proper starting 11. Wow. Because it was still the 90s and people still like really, uh, you know, took the FA Cup very seriously. Yeah, yeah, no, it was uh, very serious. Well, still sort of is, but yeah, back then it was uh, so much more serious to actually compete all the way through as yeah. opposed to see how you go with the second string or youth boys and see where you got to and then start being it seriously once it got near the end. FA Cup rounds, we've got to remember how much money they brought into clubs. Um, yeah. Having a cup run was like, that's part of the reason why Manchester United were able to do what they did and become like a corporation with the share prices and everything because they were they got all that money from back-to-back FA Cup finals in the mid-90s. Yeah, yeah. During the the first couple of years of the Premiership. Yeah. And they were able to basically compete with Blackburn, who had the original billionaire owner in the late Jack Walker. Yeah, yeah. But even then, like, I don't think, you know, it's not the trophies that give Manchester United even their legitimacy. It's the history, right? Yeah, it's the history. So it's the combination of, of all that's come. It's, yeah, the history is the best way of putting it. You have to have the history, you have to have had the stories. And the exciting times and the bad times and the yeah. almost wases and everything. Yeah, and it's also the the fact that clubs like United and City they used to be like workers' clubs. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Manchester United were te- were literally called the railwaymen. Yeah, and uh, Manchester City on Main Road were in a similar situation. So it's got the and you know clubs like West Ham and Mill Millwall, their rivalries predate the founding of the association. Like they used to play yeah. sport. Like you know they're from two iron found workers from two iron rival iron foundries from opposite sides of the Thames. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't just buy that history. No, there's no shortcut to it. And I think like that's the sort of legitimacy that the Americans are looking for from Mexico because these are old clubs. They've been around since the 1900s, 1910s, yeah. 1920s, and they have the the requisite fan culture to support that. Yeah, like yeah, you say the Mexican league has the history. It has legitimacy. It it has all that stuff. Whilst the MLS, despite being around a reasonable amount of time now, still feels. Like, it's just there for the commercial needs, not the... doesn't have the history. I think it's a good example of you can't buy the history. You actually have to work it up. And I feel like a lot of that is probably because they don't have relegation and promotion. <laughs> I'm going to beat this dead horse. <laughs> oh, I'll die on this hill if I have to. It is It is true. And it doesn't have the history the same way as, say, the English. Your real fans teams. stick with you, like, 
it's the other reason why like European clubs will never give up on the relegation system is relegation battles actually have more viewers than like when you're going for a title race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because often enough, the title race is done by you know March. You know who's who are gonna win, and if your club is on the top end of the Premiership, you're like, yeah, well, that's not gonna be us. So why do we care? Yeah, exactly. Plus the the relegation battles can have in it, and lots of different games. It can put a lot of sting into a lot of different games as well. Knowing that you know, even if you've got a bottom t- team playing a top team, you know, yeah, it's it's. That bottom team has so much to play for, even just a draw, just like eking a point out somehow is that. And yeah, yeah, it just has a lot into it. But on the flip side, I would I would say that the rest of the American sports sort of show that you can sort of have history and, and that, that culture, even in the closed systems, like NFL teams still have a history yes. and still have diehard fans and have been through a lot. But it it takes a lot of time, I think, there. So you've got yeah. to have... It's a different set of good times and bad times. You have a long time of nothing happening, and then suddenly you have a, a playoff run or something, and it, it works out, but... Yeah, your older NFL clubs who have been around since the original days of the NFL, back when it was only in the small towns, yeah, playing in small towns in middle America, these clubs are... the. It's no coincidence that they're the ones with the strongest rivalries. Yeah, yeah. Like, for one. <laughs> and it's no coincidence that big, they're still, like, Green Bay Packers are still one of the biggest brands in uh, the NFL. And they're literally playing in a club. They're playing a city that's half the size of Auckland. Yeah. Like, that is beyond, like, sure, they're near, they have a nearby city that's got million plus population in milwaukee but it's still like you know that's a historical accident that doesn't generally happen (laughs) yeah yeah, and i mean that in like the nicest way like it's the equivalent of like you know back in the day homer used to have a weird voice dan castellina did it weird yeah 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 when you watch old episodes of the simpsons you're like that's weird, man. And we're like, yeah, that just used to be how it was. Like, <laughs> That's just what it was. Like, it I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm like, it's just what it was, man. Yeah. Like... <laughs> it's very true. As you say, it's just... That's just how Homer sounded. Yeah, that is just exactly how Homer sounded. And, like, that is... like the, That, to me, is, like, the closest example I can think of to something similar to this. <laughs> 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 and we all know the cult. There's nothing more culturally relevant than the the Simpsons. No, it is always culturally relevant. You can always use it to make an example of something. You need something? Yeah. Go to those Simpsons. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Americans realize how much of American life, out, you know, how much the world informed about what being an American is like by watching the Simpsons. Like, if the <laughs> Simpsons, half the stuff were like, you know, we just like, oh yeah. Dental plan, Lisa. Do we even need to go into dental plan? Lisa needs braces. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But like, you know, we don't. You know, we think that's real life in America. Yeah, sort of is. It it sort of is, but it's you know, in a weird way. Like we all kind like most people know. Like you know, people don't live in kangaroos in Australia. (laughs) It's almost that level of ridiculous that people think it's like that. Yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) <laughs> but 
it's a, one of those things. So it's an entertainment industry, and there's uh, the problem with that is I think even other entertainment is having an issue of trying to figure out how to monetize. Yeah. I don't think anyone's really quite worked it out properly yet. No. The NFL likes its NFL passes and whatnot, and why wouldn't you? Yeah. But there's a reason why, excuse me, why network TV people can still afford to pay them three or four billion dollars a year for rights to things it's because like advertising makes almost literally lets you print money (laughs) and sports is expensive and sports rights are the one thing that you can't pull really need to watch live and advertisers really want the money for yeah 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 there's a lot of interest in sports and therefore there's a lot of money in sports and so yeah advertisers want it and they'll pay money for it but then you have to have advertising in your sports. Yes. But the money provides the club's financial security to provide better sports for you to watch. So yeah. it continues on around. Because sports is, gets you that time-sensitive advertising eyeballs, right? Like that's yeah, where yeah. you can advertise the newest product and generate the hype right away. Whereas like even if you were to do something like product placement on like a movie... Yeah. Like, unless you've got a super hit movie like, um, like E.T. and what happened with Reese's Pieces, yeah, yeah, like you're not getting that same effect. You're not getting that. You're not capturing that same zeitgeist that you just almost by default can just capture with, in like advertising at the Super Bowl, for example. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was gonna say a good example. Well, an example. I don't know how good it is, but would be iRobot and all the product placements in there that just sort of all fell flat. Yes. You sort of feel that they would have spent a lot of money on on all those product placements and they probably could have got better if they just slapped a hoarding down on the side of a sports game somewhere. Yeah, or like you compare that to Marvel just deciding to advertise, you know, Endgame with basically uh, Robert Downey Jr. staring at the screen for 20 seconds in the middle of the Super Bowl. Yeah. Which one did did it better? I think we can all agree. I think, um, yeah, history has spoken on which one did it better. Yeah. To be fair, Marvel is probably the one brand at the moment in all entertainment that can't fail. Yeah, pretty much at the moment. Whatever they want to do, it seems to work out for them. Like, I don't know if there will ever be another $2 billion movie. Like, I feel like and what's going to come next? Uh, and I know that people have talked about the death of cinema at least three or four times in, you know, in the 20th century. Yeah, yeah. Once we had video, once we had TV. And I get all that. And all of them were wrong for different reasons. And I, I'm not saying I'm not wrong now. But it yeah. feels like... I don't think you're going to get to those heights. Like No, no, not... Not for a while. Yeah. Um, at the very least, yeah, COVID sort of took that away from them. They, it was, I felt like pre that, you know, cinema was, was competing with streaming services and all the rest and all the other entertainment cues that people have and where they put in the entertainment dollars they were competing. And that's why you got Endgame with its yeah. billion dollars. But since COVID, it, it sort of was a big change in the way people are viewing things and yeah. i don't think sports 
is going to suffer in the same way because people it still provides a, a much more unique sports are still something people want to watch live so even yeah. if you're pirating for example yeah. if you're watching the ads the advertisers are getting their value yeah and but even that like live sports is just seems to have its own little thing that it just you can't replicate in other um entertainment medias or mediums um Whilst, and the cinema sort of had that as well, but you get the, the, the surround sound and the thing. But I guess people's home entertainment systems are uh, getting better as well, that well, the difference I mean, isn't that much. Sports is going to lose some numbers to streaming, and it's kind of unaffordable for a lot of people because prices, it is really expensive to get like a cap- cable deal if you're yeah. a student, for example, or... You know, it's just starting out working, uh, graduating yeah, yeah. from uni sort of thing. Or graduating from high school sort of thing. Yeah. And that's when you can kind of just, you know, you can kind of grow, eh, not that big a deal to me anymore. Yeah, exactly. And that's what you don't want to happen with your product. If people realize they don't need it, then they're not going to pay for it. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's the bottom line. It is the bottom line. People will pay for what they want or what they think they need. And yeah. yeah, if your product, if sports, your sports team's not looking like it's providing that that entertainment value, then people aren't going to buy it. Or it's not providing something that they can get from yeah, elsewhere. Exactly. And so that little bit swings back to having the football culture and having the club culture and people feeling belonging to the club. Because then, yeah. then they are getting something out of it. They're getting the sense of belonging. But yeah. They don't want to have that cheapened by it feeling like the, the club's just out to make money as well. So, yeah, you know, say it's a double-edged sword and a thin line to walk, but if the clubs get it right, then they then it will work out well for them. But stumble one side of the way too far, either way, either you're going to start losing your fan, your diehard fans, and yes. the fair where the ones will disappear as soon as your sporting progress drops and at will at some point. But if you go the other way, then you're not making enough money. You won't be able to sustain where you're at anyway so then you won't you won't be able to maintain your sporting highlights and yeah and then you'll probably lose fans anyway because they won't be getting what they want which is the, the endorphin rush as well from seeing their team win exactly and i don't know that i i obviously don't have the answers to that but i don't no. know if there is an answer to that like we didn't have professional sports not that you know like a century ago and now we do yeah and are we going back to a thing of a dot anymore <laughs> the same way? Um, I don't think we'll go back, but yeah, I think... Like, I know, I don't think so either, but like, yeah. the there is a price point for all entertainment that we're trying to figure out. There's only so much time everybody has and so much money everybody has. Yeah. Um, the, the thing is, like, because Netflix and YouTube became popularized and became basically... Um, what you what I might call like you know when uh, became popular uh, became popular during the recession, we have become used to paying maybe the equivalent of what was five dollars back in two thousand and eight, yeah, a month for Netflix and our that sort of entertainment and maybe and people just pirated sports or decided that they would maybe pay five dollars a month for their one sport pass for the one sport they need yeah. to watch but if they um 
sure, the recession's over, but we're like, I think if it's gone up from $5, it's only gone up to something like we're willing to pay maybe $30 a month now, as opposed to we're willing to pay what people seem to think we're willing to pay like, you know, $50, $60 a month, which I'm like, I don't think that's ever been, you know, if you went to no. got a Netflix, an Amazon, a Disney Plus, a, a YouTube Red, and a Spotify. You know, that's where it starts adding up to like, you know, fifty, sixty dollars a month for your entertainment. And then on top of exactly. that, whatever sports packages you're you know, exactly. subscribed to. Yeah. So if you're wanting to put in a package at that, that's the sort of level of entertainment you need to be providing. And if you're not willing to pay for advertising, then it's very difficult to make up those num you know, make up the yeah. difference. Because where does that come from? Exactly. And I don't think there's an easy answer anyone has to that question, unfortunately. No, no, there's, there really isn't an easy answer. It is a trial and error thing of just trialing it out and seeing how it goes and accepting that yeah. you may... I think the bit is accepting that you may get it wrong and rolling it back if if it gets too much of a, a pushback, which I guess is, um, has been borne out by the European Super League with, at the very least, Chelsea yeah. and... Manchester I mean, City, but part, possibly the rest of them. Part of me kind of looks at it with a bit of, okay, they at least had balls. Yeah. Because they knew this idea was going to be hated. But yeah, they were yeah. willing to try it anyway, because in their mind, they're at the moment, things are not tenable. Because there's like an interesting um, interview watched online from... Bandy, uh, I can't remember his last name, who invented Age of Empires, the original oh, yes. lead developer at Ensemble Studios. Oh, yes, yes. And they asked him about his thoughts on Age 4, and he said, look, um, my thoughts on it are a bit like my thoughts on Ghostbusters 2. I think they should have taken all that talent from writers, actors, and everything, and done something completely new, as opposed to do something that would always be compared to the original Ghostbusters, whether it was better or worse. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, so... But he's like, look, I like some of the things that make it look like it's completely different because he said his goal in Age of Mythology was to make the Age series more like StarCraft, like have completely specialized civilizations as different yeah. as possible with, so, you know, and then they compromise with like, you know, the three civilizations, which all have like the common deities and things yeah, like yeah. this with three factions within each civilization who are more similar. And I like that mold. And I think he's going, he think he thinks if they are doing something completely different and just keeping the same era, because in his mind, they should have just gone into, gone hard into the, like, you know, either World War II or some other I see, yeah, yeah. era like that, just to be like, yeah, we're completely different. Yeah. So to avoid the comparison, as he said. Yeah. Like you're not, playing in you're playing in the medieval era you're doing you're not in any way relate nothing you do is related to you know age two stuff so you shouldn't be comparing yeah he's like i'm not against it if they did it if they're doing sticking to this but making a different game and if it's because they want to try something new with the age era and it's a new game but he's like but i feel like it's the opposite they're being corporate cowards none of them want like in corporate culture it's okay to fail doing something that was safe but it's not okay to fail doing something that wasn't if yes. that makes sense and you and i both have seen this in corporate cultures you know like yeah, yeah. that that totally rings true 
that does that actually does ring true. Yeah. Like the only example I can think of, like a major corporation where they tried something and it failed and nobody got fired, is when Coca Cola invented new Coke. Yeah. Their reasoning was entirely like, look, we told our people to come up with a new idea. If we fired them after their idea didn't work, we'd be basically telling everyone, you know, Coke is a company that doesn't welcome innovation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's just the corporate line or their, you know, but at the end of the day, like they still did like did that. So like the ESL are in a similar situation where at least they you know, were willing to try something like, and they knew that it was going to be hated and had a good chance of failing, which a lot of, yeah. I think, a lot of corporations wouldn't do. Yeah. Because it's not the safe option. Yeah, exactly. Like, it was it was always a high-risk, high-reward thing. You're right. That yeah. A lot of corporations would be like, yeah, it's high-reward, but that's a lot of risk. We need to have a lot of mitigations and let's scale it back a bit. But you're right. Like the ESL did like, no, we're going whole hog. We're going all the way. Like we know people are going to like it, but they backed themselves to provide, if it went ahead to provide a, a, a package and a entertainment spectacle that was going to overwrite those negative things. Like yes. we're going to lose these fans, but we'll gain these people. And we'll, these ones will, will, will carry over and we yeah. can, we can, have that going along even with this subset over here who will hate us and hate us with a passion and be quite vocal about and, it yeah and i think they basically went look people thought they were gonna hate the premier league that didn't happen yeah exactly a lot of the same um arguments were being thrown up for the premier you know back in the late 80s early 90s when the premier league was being developed but you know it got put through and People, some fans were left the club, the Premier League clubs, and went and found new ones. But all in all, most people stayed around, and it was a good outcome for everyone. So maybe they could have been right. Maybe it could have worked. But yeah, who knows? Like it, yeah. the thing is, they dropped it very suddenly. Like and that was where it was like, you know, at least you were ballsy when you decided to take the decision, and then you be- immediately became corporate cowards the moment. <laughs> You realized you thought it was going to get even slightly hard. Yeah, exactly. It's like, we're going to do it. We don't care. We'll wait. That's a lot of hate. Okay, no, run away, run away. And they had to know who was not going to stay, you know? Like, they had to know Manchester City, Chelsea, they weren't going to continue on if it looked unlikely to work. And, like, they weren't going to stay because they had to be convinced to join and all these other things. Like, they knew what was going on in their boardroom meetings and all this. Yeah, yeah. So the fact that they basically, like, capitulated so quickly is, like, I think that's where you know that it wasn't courage. It was basically, like, okay, you were, like, you'd lost your mind. Like, you have (laughs) lost touch with reality and everything, you know, uh, the common football fan and everything. Yeah, exactly. Like, you guys have just gone off the deep end. But that being said, like, there are probably places where you could do, like, a good, like, some a closed ESL would probably, like, ESL-style Super League, or even, like, a just a two-division, like the Japanese, like the J-League. Yeah, yeah. Could probably work, because... Uh, like outside of the Middle East, I think the 
football is the most popular in terms of spectators and like stadiums and like you know uh, ratings yeah in East Asia. There's a reason why every club goes to tour there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. At the end of the year, and I feel like that. This is the thing. Like, if they did ever make a quote unquote super league in those ASEAN <laughs> countries, the that would be a very strong competitor with the Premier League. Yeah, and you know, because they're watching live, they can get to go to stadiums and live games. Like, there's a lot of infrastructure costs to be built, but you know, these countries have money. Yes. Like, if you're building like. In a country like Singapore, you probably only need two or three Tottenham Hotspur-style stadiums, and then you can probably be happy to go across the border to Malaysia to watch, you know, another good team, etc. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Another good stadium, and like, uh, if the travel is not made terrible, that it works. Yeah, I guess that's the that would be the big thing. A little bit would be the the travel. Even before COVID days, like can imagine that the travel for some sort of Asian Super League would be a bit prohibitive. Yeah, but uh, with Air Asia and like you know cheap airline travel, like yeah, your Singapore, uh, Malaysia, and Brunei have probably got decent enough connections. In the ASEAN region, the only club to have uh, the they've had a couple of clubs in that region win the. Um, AFC Champions League, um, oh, yeah. the Thai Farmers, who have won it twice, Thai Farmers Bank, and Malaysian champions uh, Selangor have made the finals. All right. Um, and also, like, another club, the the Thai Police Club, have made it to the finals. So they're a decent enough team, and I think if they did do an ASEAN Super League, the A-League would want in. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that would happen almost instantaneously, like because they would. <laughs> that's that is the sort of thing that gets you that combined marketing, like you know, Australia wants that legitimacy, but also like Australian brands would want to be able to advertise to those markets, and like a more upmarket Asian brands would want to do the same in the Australia uh, Australian market and things like this. Yeah, I think you're right. It could be quite a um quite beneficial both ways. Yeah, it wouldn't be too much further for travel, so it should be okay. Though, I guess you could get um if you got the A League in there, you're gonna get it definitely a, a long where travel. The travel with... becomes a bit harder, but yeah, that's where. But you know, I'm assuming these franchises would be in places like Cairns, maybe even yeah. Darwin. Not gonna have a Wellington Phoenix in this um Super League. Travel all the way up. I'd to... love to have a Wellington Phoenix. I'm sure people in the north of Burma would love to travel to Wellington. I'm sure they would. That's what I was just saying. Yeah. Nice travel between somewhere north of Burma or Miramar down to Wellington. I'm sure that's going to be a, a well. Fly well. Yeah. That's going to be a strong traveling t- contingent both ways there. But, yeah, the main reason I wanted it because I want DPPM Brunei to be in this <laughs> league and win it because they'd have so much money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sure, he's not the richest man in the world anymore, but he's still like the richest man in that neighborhood. Yeah, exactly. He's still pretty rich. That's the thing. Like the future of super leagues, they're just gonna come. Like I don't think we've seen the ESL is this. This is not like uh, I don't think this is gonna be the last we'll hear of the ESL. No, definitely not. Definitely, will come back in some new form. Yeah, maybe with even more fan talk. Maybe they'll ask me. 
<laughs> Maybe they'll listen to you. Maybe they'll listen to our podcast. Maybe. And I'm definitely sure we're going to start seeing more cross-border leagues. And we already have them in Oce- in Oceania and Asia. Yeah. Southeast Asia especially. And we are almost certainly looks like... And we already have them in North America. And we're probably going to see it even more in yeah. those regions. So the question... The thing is whether we would have one in South America, because I think that is where that could be like revolutionary in football, because that's one of the big talent factories Yeah, yeah. of ball. And if I've been looking at a lot of interesting videos about how the league structure and uh, in Latin America, various Latin American countries work. Like in Brazil, the they seem to believe that the reason why their leagues aren't strong and why the Brazilian national team aren't strong is because their players leave Brazil at a young age to go to Europe and there's no cohesiveness and they don't and like the clubs there always play in the short term because they know their players are going to be sold etc etc and I've seen Mexico they believe that their players are too well paid and are too comfortable and they and because they don't move to Europe to improve they <laughs> stagnate in talent and yeah, yeah. that's why they haven't they don't do well in the world cup yeah well that's and yeah. both arguments seem legit and they yeah. could both be true i don't think they're mutually exclusive no there's this means there's a time period in between the two where there is a ideal time for their players to move on yeah and potentially then come back at some point yeah, and I think the main thing is if the Brazilian league isn't providing the competition for those players to develop, like a good a player like Ronaldo played with good players in Brazil. Even yeah. if those players were just people returning from Europe or were like you know not yet moved to Europe, they were he was playing with against them uh, when he was sixteen in Brazil and getting into the Brazilian team. Yeah, exactly. 94. That's why at 16, he was ready to go to Europe and play. Like, I'm not saying every player is like Ronaldo. Like, Neymar <laughs> waited till he was 24. Yeah, exactly. And you can compare it. Like, I obviously think Ronaldo is the better player, but Neymar is still a bloody good player. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, if uh, maybe after Ronaldo, uh, the second best player I've seen to come out of Brazil, he, I, I think he's even possibly, if you look at his whole career, better than Ronaldinho. I don't think he's yeah, as talented yeah. as Ronaldinho. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah. But like, you know, better what he's produced and done, achieved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. Potentially had, yeah, a more decorate, decorated career so far. Yeah. And, you know, he's got the highest number of goals for uh, for the Brazilian national team. Like, you know, beating yeah, a yeah. certain ballet. yeah. And he also won Brazil the Olympic title, which they'd never won before. So he's not, like, done nothing at the international level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But all that aside, like, the, I think Neymar is the exception. Like, they got to see Neymar play in Santos, you know? Yeah, yeah, And, yeah. you know, there was a group of players who played against Neymar, got better. And then when he left, when he was, like, I, I believe it was, he was 24, that was the right time. He was going to take the next step. If he had stayed past 24, he would have stagnated. He wouldn't be the player he is now. The world's first $200 million player. Yeah, exactly. And I don't think anyone can say in retrospect that that fee was not worth it for Paris Saint-Germain. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, it's very much worth it. Yes. 
I mean, not necessarily only for football reasons, like, but you know, uh, other reasons as well. But the, it's that argument. Like, I think Argentina are in the same boat as Brazil. Um, like Brazil's league still has some money, and I think it can still. And it's basically Argentinian players who aren't good enough to go to Europe straight away seem to get poached by the Brazilian teams, and then yeah. when they do well in Brazil, they get poached in Europe. And the Mexican player, you know, Mex the Mexican league players, uh, unless they're very ambitious and really want to, like Chicharito, like go out at a young age. It's one of those things. Like Chicharito had Manchester United calling. Like you have yeah. to be a bum of a football player to not take that call and like want to move. Yeah, like, exactly. You know, that's like one of the Rolls Royce brands of football came in and called asked you to come play. Like you know, yeah, yeah. Real Madrid. If I was a football player, heck, if I was playing Sunday League football and Real Madrid wanted to sign me, I would, I would take that call. Like that's Real Madrid. I don't care how many fans boo me at the Bernabeu. I'm like, I played for Real. You didn't. So. <laughs> Oh dear! Yes, exactly. Right, like, but, yeah, yeah. So, like, you know, okay, so Chicharito, you could maybe make a bit of an except, but you know, clubs like Bundesliga clubs, they're not going to buy Mexican players because they're paid too much for Bundesliga clubs to afford. And I think Bundesliga yeah. is one of the good leagues for transferring talent. Yeah. And like, same with Portuguese clubs, they're not going to be able to afford. Mexican player ta wages, unless no, those no. players are willing to take a pay cut to make the move. Yeah, and there's been a few who've done that. Chicharito didn't need to take a pay cut because he went to Manchester United, and even yeah, if he yeah. took a pay cut, it's worth it because he's playing for Manchester United. He's a Me he's like you know he play he'd be the only Mexican to be in Manchester United, so he gets all these endorsement deals and everything in Mexico for playing at United. And yeah, yeah, yeah. You can make that so money back. So if he played at Real Madrid or, you know, Barcelona, etc. Like what if you're playing for one of those big boys, it's different. Like you're not you're never gonna say no if you're a football player worth anything. Yeah. Or exactly. at least you're gonna listen to what they have to say. Yeah. But yeah, other but like, you know, otherwise they seem comfortable and it's the opposite in Brazil. And you wouldn't think the Brazilian league players would be less well paid than the Mexican league players, but there is some apparently. issues with the structure, and apparently that is that yeah. it is like that. Or also, I think maybe people are willing to pay a bit more for uh, Brazilian talent. Yeah, it possibly is that because it's Brazil, the clubs are are looking there earlier and offering more money to a younger Brazilian in the hope that they get them and they turn into. Yeah someone awesome like yes. Neymar so yeah, and yeah you want to get the next Neymar before the next Neymar is known as the next Neymar yeah and I think if you're playing in Brazil even if you are kind if you're good enough to be a well-played pair a player people are willing to take a punt on you and if you're a decent player who could improve in Europe the scouting is just so good that they find you earlier and go yeah sure you're getting a bit less than if you were going here, but you know you're going to a club like Porto or Benfica. You know we're gonna. Yeah, yeah. You, if you do well here, you will get into the Champions League. A Brazilian playing in Portugal or, you know, a lower league or in like somewhere like Holland or Belgium, you just get noticed. People will buy you. 
Yeah, well, exactly. Good. Exactly. And you, yeah. If you're good, you're going to stand out. So. Yeah. Or even League One in France, like not PSG, but like yeah, one yeah, of the yeah. other teams. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, because you're from Brazil or Argentina, they're willing, or, or Uruguay, they're willing to take a punt on you. And I think the rest of South America, ever since Comnibol reformed the way they qualify for the World Cup and everything, it's just become a really competitive, like, confederation. Yeah. At club level, not necessarily at club level, but, like, at least at national level. So At national level, yeah, sure. Players get noticed more. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think... Yeah, that's because that's developing a good competition, like level of competition as well. That's meaning the scouts are getting better intel on who's actually a good player as well, mm. and who can, who would be good to to be targeting, and potentially what clubs are producing those talents, and therefore which clubs to be going looking at their youth system and who's coming through. Like Comnibol is close to being the first and only confederation that'll have every country in it qualify for the World Cup. If Venezuela make it to a World Cup, that's that's when it'll happen. Wow, that's pretty impressive, really. Yeah, and like I feel like if Mexico wants to win a World Cup, they need to give up on Liga MX merging with MLS and creating another closed system league um, and they need to join Comnibol, be part of the South Americans, actually have to fight to qualify for the World Cup and play good teams all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Mexico plays in the Copa America regularly and I think they, and they're, their teams play in the Copa Libertadores, the, you know, and the Copa Sudamerica and they do decently and their crowds are great. And the only issue is the travel time, obviously. But, you know, obviously. the South American clubs love having them there because it brings in so much money. Like, if you don't count Brazil, Mexico is the largest country in Latin America. Yeah. And, like, beyond that, like, Latin in Latin America, Mexico is, like, one of those countries that is, like, larger culturally. It's the way, like, you know, we all watch American shows and American TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People in the Spanish-speaking world, you know, watch Mexican pop culture. Yeah. Like, especially in Latin America. Especially in America, yes. Uh, if Mexico were to leave CONCACAF, though, it would basically put CONCACAF in the same similar position that, you know, Oceania currently are, or the OFC are with when Australia left. Yeah. It'd be a big hole. Yeah. Like the biggest hole because they've won. Every, they're the yeah. most successful team in CONCACAF Gold Cup and I think also in their Champions League. It's like, it's the. Uh, and you're almost basically leaving it to the United States and they'd have no competition. I mean, I, this is something that'll never happen till after the 2026 World Cup. Yeah. Of course. Though I did see but, that. Um, one of the reasons why the North American Super League could go ahead is because of the 2026 World Cup um, and therefore them having with with Mexico and America and Canada working more together that, that yeah. might, that's what's helping pushing it together and therefore having a, a merged Super League 
would make sense from their point of view. Yeah. yeah I mean, like, they already have, like, a merge tournament, you know, like, yeah, yeah. for America and Canada, so it makes sense. And they have a bunch of merge tournament games. Um, I think yeah. this is the first Copa America in a while that hasn't had Mexico come in as a guest yeah. team. Which is interesting. I think Australia and Qatar were meant to play in this Copa America. All right. Because often they have like uh, Mexico and the USA. Yeah. Because they only have like 10 member associations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the the, so they always need like I think usually two or three more teams to come in and join. Yeah, just to give it a bit of padding into the into it. Yeah. But it's interesting. So they're going the opposite way, and I, like I said, I don't think that's the right way. If they want, if Mexico want El Tree to do better in the World Cup. Yeah. Whereas I think if they were to go the other way, join South America, that would be like, at least that would be, that would get you to the World Cup quicker, even if it meant you missed out a couple of times. Yeah, I think you're right. If they go south, if Mexico went, joined south, then it would give them a, um, they, more competitions though, they'd be more likely to miss out. But when they did make it to the World Cup, they would be a stronger team. Well, yes. So they, they merge north of um, the US and surrounds, then it'll mean that they, and stay in the northern part, they'll get to the World Cup almost every time. Um, but whether they'll be able to get a stronger team out of it, I mean, I'd, it'll be pretty much the same as it is now. So it will, they'll continue to have the same results as what they're currently having. Yeah. So it just comes down to them which one they prefer, I guess. A safe route that gets them what they're getting but no further or the slightly more risky route but will potentially put them higher up the rankings i mean and they have done pretty well in the copa america they've gone been runners yeah. up twice yeah and semi-finalists three times so yeah oh no not, exactly but i think the last few copa americas they haven't done that well so that's probably I mean, they haven't been invited since then, but yeah, that's possibly colored their judgment. Yeah, yeah, potentially. Yeah. Um, like reading a bit into it, apparently there is some politics between Concacaf and Comnibol. Yeah, I'll doesn't do it. surprise me. Usually, for these sort of reasons. Oh my! There was some politics. Who would have thought? Pretty In football, you say. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and it wasn't like because the last time they played it, it was they weren't there because there was a fixture congestion thing, and it was like a, they only had it because it was a like to celebrate the hundredth anniversary of the Copa America. Yeah, and, that was the last time in twenty nineteen and twenty sixteen. Twenty second. There was a there was one in twenty nineteen, but the cent yeah. um centurial was in twenty sixteen. Is your right to 2016? It was held in the USA, and that's yeah. where they wanted to get things going. But the um, yeah, I think Concacaf were kind of like stop trying to steal the US and Mexico from us. 
Because <laughs> I think if you ask Comnibol to merge with CONCACAF and like just share the World Cup spots between them, all the South American countries are like, yeah, sweet. Like, yeah, that's us. Like, three and a half more slots for us. Excellent. <laughs> we take this deal every time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, but it seems like that will be what happens. And there is a rumor that the 2034 World Cup will be an ASEAN bid. Ooh, that could be good. Because I think it's kind of accepted that the 2030 World Cup will go to Uruguay. All right, yeah, yeah. And it makes sense. like a joint South American bid with Uruguay, Paraguay, and Argentina. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, like Uruguay has learned from Athens and they're like, look, we're going to have the 100th anniversary edition of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that they've, been, they've been like planning to put in a bid. Like the only other country that I think was looking to put in, like, because there are some Asian countries looking to put in a bid, but by FIFA's rules, they're not allowed to because Qatar hosted, will host 2022. Yeah. Like, and in the original system where there was like, you were supposed to get turns. Yeah. Uh, based on the continent, it would have been South America's turn in 2030. Yeah. From my understanding. But yeah, if the if North America, Asia are not allowed, then you can have a European bid or a, uh, you know, that South American bid. So it makes sense for it to go to South America, given it'll be 100 years and all the rest. Yeah, I think 2034, you're probably when you'll have an Asian one because there hasn't been one since 2002. Yeah. Exactly. And I would not be surprised if it's hosted in China. No. I think if 2034 goes to Asia, then I think 2038 will go to Africa. Yeah. After that, it'll have to be a European one, you'd think. You'd think. Because then it wouldn't have had a European... World Cup yeah. since 2018. Yeah, which just gets a while there. But yeah, apparently Morocco, Morocco is keen on hosting a, a World Cup. Morocco is always keen on hosting a World Cup. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying it wouldn't be good because there's good travel infrastructure and you could probably use a, one base of operations and travel around the country for the game pretty easily. Yeah, like yeah. Train and stuff. Potential there that they could look at the other North African countries and spread it out a bit that way. Yeah. To give it a bit more more onto it. The apparently their potentially biggest threat is a UK bid. Like it would be a, a yeah. joint UK bid. Yeah, I was just looking at confirmed plans being Morocco, Uruguay and a Balkan um yeah. bid. And out of those, the Uruguay one would probably be the, the strongest. But yeah, expressed interest was Korea, Saudi Arabia, Cameroon, Egypt, Colombia. And then, the, yeah, the England, North Ireland, Scotland, Wales. Yeah. Bid, which, yeah, seems to be the most likely to be a, a strong contender to a Uruguay bid. As they could argue that, you know, then it's the British, it's the British game. Their 100 years should yeah. be them. Yeah, I think there's no official bid yet. I don't, no, not no, that they just... have to have one, like, but no. the like the com the Uruguay, Argentina, Chile, Paraguay bid has already it's official. I think even that's not a, it's not officially put in. It's just confirmed that they will. Like there, we will. We have a bid. Yeah. yeah, it's an intended joint bid. But yeah, the British one is 
is just we're thinking about it so yeah the uruguay the south american one has been announced that they do intend to bid because yeah the official bidding period has not actually started so they can't bid yeah i think and i think the advantages of having it in four countries are quite it's quite evident right like yeah, yeah. and I think looking at it like even uruguay by its because it's got to be 48 countries by then yeah think about it like because uruguay was planning to host it in about five cities but have four in montevideo itself yeah, yeah. there's so many like obviously historic stadiums yeah the centenario which was built for the 2030 world cup which would probably host the final i assume i assume so too yeah there's a few others here and there um but yeah argentina is another country with like you know giant stadiums yeah yeah that could host it uh, there as well so like if you split it around like two or three in each country and i think argentina would host the bulk of it it would yeah it would end up uh, with a pretty decent World Cup there. And they're all pretty easily travelable, I yeah. think. I guess so. I've, I guess the only issue really is if you had an Argentina to Chile flight to have to... But I guess they won't do the same team like that. Yeah. Then then you're going up and over the Andes and down again. But... And I think, you know, flying over the Andes is not as dangerous as it used to be. <laughs> no, no. I was just more thinking of the, the pain of of it and the flight that has to get up and down. But, but yeah, it's an hour. An hour, uh, not too bad. I don't think either of those countries would be hosting stuff in the south part of their countries. No, it looks like yeah, the Argentina's the proposed host cities are all at the north. Yeah, I, mean, I Chile... think Santiago has a few southern cities. That's... Yeah, Chile's got ones a bit further south than uh, Santiago, and they'll be further south than... Yeah, they'll be the ones further south. Yeah. Yeah, Temuco but and... Even Concepcion uh, from Buenos Aires uh, is, like, far. not too far. Because if Santiago's an hour, I assume it's maybe another half hour. Yeah, yeah. Point. Hour 59, so it's a basically another hour. So Yeah. And, yeah. And you'd probably make the groups set up that way. Like, it was basically yeah. traveling around Brazil was harder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, it's larger. Yeah, heaps larger. So, And they spread it out way around the country. Like, Argentina's yeah. not, not as spread out for their proposed locations. So, yeah. And I think also, like, that was intentional from Brazil as well, to yeah, spread yeah, yeah. it out across the country as opposed to just be in the places where, like, you know, it would be like New Zealand hosting a World Instead of doing what, like, in New Zealand hosting a World Cup in just Auckland and Hamilton and Tauranga, they, <laughs> yeah. we did it all over the country <laughs> when we hosted the Rugby World Cup. Yeah, exactly. But it'd be interesting, and, like, this is the thing, like, this is this, like, if that becomes a seed for a combined league, does this, a 2030 World Cup become a seed for a combined league for those four countries? Maybe. I guess the difference there is that there's already the plans for a combined league for Mexico and America, so 
it's more the other way around like they have had the plans for it and so then they for they put their bid in um as a showing of strength for that so that both sides sort of showed their commitment to the idea so i don't know if there's a any talk about a combined league for any south american ones so i'd imagine if they were going to do a combined league that would include brazil at the very least I think if you were going like it would have to include Brazil. Like I said, Brazil yeah. has the Big Twelve, exactly, um, and you've got the Big Five in Argentina. Yeah, and a few others here and there. Yeah, you think any uh, Super League would include include those teams, and then yeah, and you've got Penarol, Nacional, Uruguay. Yeah. The big two over there, and I guess uh, then you'd have just a smattering of few clubs here and there, like Olympia from Paraguay, Atletico Nacional from Colombia, etc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, like, but I feel like this calls for there being like a second division just so that you can have, yeah, yeah. And like, this is the thing, like, this league, even if you had like three or if you built like a South American pyramid, that would be very competitive against the like competing against the big four European leagues. Like that would probably bring money and like viewers for yeah in, uh, around the world. I would imagine so. I mean, you'd have if you could set up yeah right and have your broadcast right set up, then yeah. You can definitely market as, you know, see the next great footballers before they hit Europe, you know. And I mean, then they like, could stay. Do you even, like, if you generate enough money, do you even go to Europe? Like, Pele never yeah, yeah. went to Europe. No, well, do you get that point as well? But I think that's the starting point, right? Generate enough money that people stay where they are. And yeah. then for a little bit. And then as it, that excitement grows, you're growing money so then you can keep them there longer and they don't need to go to Europe. Then is it then a then you get a competitor to the European scene. Yeah. Which yeah. arguably is needed, if, especially if you don't like the... That could be a foil to the European Super... Closed European Super League concepts. Yeah. yeah. If there was an actual competitor to the European um, viewing. This, yeah. That's basically where all the viewers, at least in a general worldwide thing, you know, Europe is a... Essential one that everybody seems to follow, plus a, a local one if you are keen. But yeah, it maybe it just needs a competitor, and then South America may be the the place for that competitor to provide that competitor in terms of the entertainment. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing. I feel like South America uh, uh, would be in a much better position to compete if. Like the two confederations, the Americas basically merged, and you had a combined league. You could even have like two separate conferences, like a North Conference and a South Conference, and yeah, yeah, like you know, have a playoff structure, like you know, yeah, and play because it's common in South America to have like a first season and a second season in the same year. Yeah, 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 like a spring and autumn season, and. Uh, so you could do something similar in North America, and basically you have a playoff, 
spring playoff and summer. You know, in the spring yeah, you yeah. play your uh, local continent, and then in summer you play against the. You know, you play the playoffs. Yeah. If you did it that way, and because the weather's flipped, it doesn't. You know, it would it would sink, right? Like that's how geography works. <laughs> <laughs> And if you did it that way, like you could limit the travel, and you could even make it like you know the playoffs are hosted in a in a country, the teams all travel there, and it's you know go travels around. So then at least it becomes more of an event. Yeah. And you could have fun things like an all star game, like a north versus south game, and things like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's always fun to have. Yeah, and I think that sort of competition would probably compete really well against the Champions League because yeah. you then have you know you've got three huge countries Mexico, USA, Brazil where Mexico and Brazil football is for the the yeah. be all end all sport yeah there and is nothing else like, and in the USA where it's close to being a, the at least the fifth you know most popular sport yeah maybe close to becoming the fourth. Yeah, and then yeah. you've got all these other countries around that are all, you know, decent sized populations and whatnot. So yeah, the that would compete with Europe. Like it needs to be at that level. Like, you know, you've yeah. got those, you'd have the big four countries which, with lots of good teams like Brazil, Mexico, probably Argentina. Yeah. And Uruguay. And then you'd have cut, but you know, cut America would still be competitive because it has money and yeah, whatnot. yeah, exactly. Because I was pretty sure at one point Mexico was going to join Comdebol. Yeah, I think we, if we went back, we'd probably find a podcast about it. We yeah, rambled on about it. Um, probably actually, if we get probably the twenty sixteen, back in twenty sixteen, we probably did a podcast on the Copper America Centennial, and it probably was mentioned there. Yeah. I mean, it's a reduced tournament now with only the South American teams. Yeah, it'll be expected. But yeah, I think that's all we have time for. Let us know what you think, stuff you want to bring up as well. But in the meantime, take care. I hope you enjoyed yourself and thank you for listening. Catch you next time.